0: Happy Saturday. Happy (laughs) Saturday. Welcome to Detroit Table Talk. Listen, we've had a rough, you know, last hour. But we're here. We're ready. We're ready to, um, you know, move along. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Dro, how was, was your day?
1: I can't complain. You can't complain either.
0: No, I can't complain, you know.
1: I can't complain at all. It's all good. Everybody in the room blessed.
0: Everybody in the room blessed. I'm extremely blessed because, let me look into the camera. I have the best. Can you turn me down just a little bit? I have the best doctor ever. Like, I've had a couple of doctors, and no one in no shape or form have equal to the doctor that I have.
1: That's awesome.
0: When I talk about, first of all, black excellence, period. Period. But when I talk about bedside manners, you know, that's a big thing among people who go to the doctor. When you talk about being able to talk to your doctor about anything and ask questions, she doesn't rush you. She explains stuff to you. You know, and then she also get on you. You know, and then she she checks on you when you come. Like, for me, let me just say, sometimes I don't come when I'm supposed to. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) But I love when I get back because we have to um, go back from the last time I was there to catch up.
1: Right.
0: You know. And not only concerning my body, she's also concerned with my mental health. That's awesome. So... I welcome Dr. Swain to Detroit Table Talk.
2: Hello. Hello. Good evening, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for having me.
0: Anytime. Anytime.
2: Dr. Swain. Yes. How's your day going? It's going pretty good. I didn't think I was gonna <laughs> make it this evening, to be honest. <laughs> I had to get on and off several freeways um, and find out, you know, ramps weren't open to get on other freeways, but I made it. I'm here in one piece. That's and, all that matters. And see, that's why you 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 the GOAT. We
1: appreciate it. you the greatest you. of all
2: time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Listen, tell
2: us a little bit about yourself. Um, so first I'll start. I'm born and raised here in Michigan uh, from Ypsilanti. Um, I went to undergrad at U of M, Go Blue. We got a game today against Purdue, so hopefully we get that win. Uh, I did my medical schooling at Wayne State University School of Medicine um, and completed my residency training at Detroit Medical Center, uh, Hudson Hospital in Detroit. Um, And then from there went on to complete a fellowship in breast disease and surgery at the University of Michigan. And now I am practicing at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit, where I've been over seven years.
0: Love it. Yeah. Love it. So that means you deliver babies and everything.
2: I do. I do. In fact, uh, last weekend I was on and delivered six babies.
0: Six babies. I swear for Lord, I wish she was around when I had my babies. I would have been as happy as I don't know what. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But listen, I know because Dr. Swine got the, you know, she has to leave because, um, you know, she's supposed to be out enjoying her day off. But, you know, it's like I say, it's an honor for her to be here. So we want to talk about a few things, if we can, while we have her at the table. Um, first of all, let's start with some of the basic things. How often
2: should women um, check in with their um, physician? Um, We recommend women should see their gynecologist um, at least once a year um, for an annual visit. So the annual visit entails um, you know doing a breast exam, pelvic exam, Um, sometimes they may or may not have a pap smear depending on whether or not they're due, Um, going over what um, shots they may need or other screenings such as mammograms, colonoscopy, bone density. Uh, for example. Um, and then, too, just to catch up and talk about how life is going, family's going. Yes. Um Those things are, you know, just as important, too.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. So um, when it comes to, because I know with a lot of African Americans, um, the statistics is high when it comes to women that have fibroids. What causes fibroids? What can we do, and what can we What are some of the preventative measures from keeping the fibroids from growing?
2: So you're correct. Um, The statistics for fibroids, particularly in African-American women is high. Approximately one in four African-American women will have a fibroid by the time they are 25 years old and about 80% of African-American women will have fibroids by the time they're 50 um, compared to white women um, who are about 70% by the time they're 50. Um, In terms of prevention, unfortunately, there isn't anything um, that we know of now that can prevent uh, fibroids. Um, from forming, um, we fibroids essentially they're benign tumors that grow in typically the muscle of the uterus, and we think it becomes from um, from estrogen. We know that they tend to grow when women are um, still menstruating or having their periods, and then once they go into menopause, they stop growing. So the hypothesis is is that it's it's a state of high estrogen um, that is likely is what causing these fibroids to form and to grow.
0: So should women? Start making appointments with their gynecologist, you know, to
2: get a surgery where, you know, it can... Prevent it. Prevent, yeah. So surgical intervention is just one option. Um, It can be an area possibly of definitive management, but there are other options, too, prior to that that are a little bit more conservative. So medication options, for example... Um, sometimes we use a medication called Lupron, um, it's actually a GNR agonist, GNR, GNRH agonist, and what it does is it stops the ovary from producing hormones, for example, estrogen. And so when you stop the ovary from producing estrogen, then you stop giving the fibroid the food that it needs in order to grow, and so then it causes the fibroids to shrink. So that's one avenue. Um, Some other avenues are giving uh, patients uh, medications like progesterone, for example. Progesterone is also a hormone produced by the ovary, but it's a hormone that opposes estrogen, so works against it. And so in doing that, you can also decrease estrogen levels and then, in fact, slow down the growth of fibroids. Um, I always say surgery is the last option. Uh, We do try to be a little bit more conservative uh, first.
0: Now, is it, <clears throat> is it certain kind of food that we need to watch, you know, so that it doesn't, the fibroids don't feed off of it?
2: So in terms of um, foods, uh, that's a great question. So there are some foods that can increase what we call exogenous estrogen, so estrogens from the outside. So foods like that could be soy products, for example. Uh, tofu, soy milk, soybeans, uh, those things can increase the amount of estrogens in our body. Also, too, we have to be careful of high fatty foods. Uh, a lot of uh, women don't know that we also produce estrogen in our fat cells. Oh. So if we're eating high foods containing um, of a lot of fat, for example, now we're increasing the fat content in our body, which, which will then in turn increase the amount of estrogen in our body, too, as well. Wow. Wow. I know that
0: um, <clears throat> for myself um some years ago probably before the pandemic or whatever um i found out that i had um fibroids and um because it seems like the last resort is always the first resort for african american women so um <clears throat> a lot of times doctors are quick to get not my doctor but <laughs> so there are doctors that are quick to um, recommend surgery as, you know, let's just get it done with so that we won't have to, you know, deal with it. How would you encourage women to, you know,
2: maybe get a second opinion or. So to, yeah, so to answer a, a little bit about that. We do see that often, that particularly African-American women, when they come in, the first resort for them is surgery. Um, sometimes it's because by the time they do come in, they're, they're very large. And so some of the medical managements that we would have offered previously, um, we aren't able to offer. Um, and that actually is a result of access issues. Um, I'm sure you're aware, as most, of our, um, most women know, that African-Americans in general, not just uh, women, but men as well, have decreased access to health care. Yes. Um, and as a result, by the time they seek a physician for help with their issues, whether it be fibroids or anything else, it's too late for those conservative measures. And so then surgery le- is left as their only option. Um, and so that's where a big part of that comes from. Uh, but also, I think it's really important, too, that, not, um, that most African-Americans don't want to just jump right into surgery right away. And I don't yeah. know if this is a, a misconception that some yeah. uh, physicians may have, that this is just what they want to do or even if they come in saying it, it may be the only thing that they know because no one has ever presented them with any other options. They didn't know anything else was possible. That's correct. So I think it's fair as as physicians that we provide patients with all options available, um, you know, with risk and benefits and allow them to make uh, an autonomous decision. We call it shared decision making.
0: And that's why I love you because you... You you give me the information and, you know, even sometimes when I make decisions, you'd be like, well, no, let's just, let's try this. <laughs> let's try this first. Now, what are some of the signs for women to look out for to have an indication that they may be dealing with fibroids?
2: So that's a really good question. Um, so heavier menses, for example. So sometimes periods will become heavier, longer, um, painful periods. Uh, infertility even. Some of these women will have a difficult time getting pregnant or they may be able to get pregnant but are having miscarriages and not understanding why. Uh, They may have increased frequency of urination or constipation. Um, Just overall um, abdominal discomfort or bloating are some um, symptoms that someone may present with who has fibroids.
0: Wow. Wow. I know. um, I spoke with my state representative, you know, um, some months ago, um, cause she had end up having fibroids and end up having, have, having happened to have surgery, but she wasn't given the information, you know, that you don't necessarily have to have surgery. So I know she's been really on a campaign to educate, you know, African-American women concerning, um, fibroids. So it's, 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 I, I, I'm starting to learn a lot more because I didn't even know it exists. I'm you know, we go to the doctor and we get our pap smears and, you know, you go and get another test where they, you know, can determine how big the fibroids are. And I had no clue, none. Um, but, you know, one thing I've asked you about, I think even the last time I came to the doctor some weeks ago... Um, Menopause. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm just ready to be in menopause. I'm not even gonna. am not even gonna lie to you. So
2: no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> oh, well,
0: let me just say this only because I don't want you know no menstrual you know <laughs> no menstrual cycles. Anymore. Well, hey, I can help you with that, and you can
2: still be uh, perimenopause.
0: <laughs> so a lot of women I know that are in menopause, they try a lot of health um, herbs. Correct. What if those don't work? What can they be given um,
2: as far as a prescription mm-hmm.
0: to help with that?
2: Um, before I answer that question, I do just want to define what menopause is. Yes, um, for those of you who may not understand, so menopause is a state where a woman has been without a period for one year. Too um, long, too long. Right. <laughs> um, and... They may or may not have some associated symptoms of vasomotor symptoms, which are hot flashes, for example, your own personal summer um, is what some women will describe. Yeah. They also will um, have uh, symptoms of uh, vaginal dryness um, or discomfort with intercourse, decreased libido, weight gain, hair loss, uh, loss of bone mass, as well as um, increasing cholesterol can happen with menopause. Uh, Now, in terms of treatment, you ask. for example, it just depends on what symptoms they're having. Uh, So you spoke of some integrative measures is what we call them uh, or herbs that some people. But if those don't work, there are prescriptions that me as a provider can provide for them, either hormone um, replacement therapy or HRT, which some have heard of. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a second because I know people hear hormone replacement therapy and sometimes they think of uh, negative things but yeah. in fact it's not it, there are some great things with hormone replacement therapy but then there are alternative prescription medications for example mood stabilizers um, for those who are having mood swings so you may have heard of uh, things like Celexa or Lexapro, yes. Prozac uh, there are also medications that can help with hot flashes as well one of them called it Effexor which um, is a known medication we use for breast cancer patients who are undergoing hot flashes because of the chemotherapy we use that most commonly Other thing, another medication would be a blood pressure medication called Clonidine. The other name of it is called Catapress. You probably have heard of that before, too. Uh, That also can be used to help with hot flashes, too. It comes in the form of a transdermal patch that you wear.
0: Now, Prozac, isn't that a psychological drug? So, Prozac?
2: Correct. So, Prozac is a medication that um, can be used for anxiety or depression. Okay. Um, It falls under a uh, selective. uh, SSRI or serotonin selective receptor okay. um uh modulator so yes it can also help too, for those who are suffering from anxiety or depression so what are the
0: um i know we you stop your menstrual cycle for a year mm mm-hmm. What are some of the symptoms to say that you are in premenopausal?
2: Okay, so perimenopause, yeah. Per,
0: peri, is it called, what is it? Perimenopause. Perimenopause. Yep, yeah.
2: So perimenopause um, symptoms can, like I described, can be hot flashes. Sometimes um, women will describe them more. They'll have them at night or night sweats. They may notice that they go to bed and they're fine, and then all of a sudden they're, like, hot and they're throwing the covers off and, yes. and you know, have the window up. And if they have a partner, their partner's over there freezing. <laughs> Oh, I know all too well. <laughs> um, and then, like I said, weight gain, too. But you have so, to have
0: all those or some of those side effects and not have a menstrual cycle for 12 months. So
2: not necessarily. The only thing you need to have is not have a menstrual cycle for 12 months. Okay. So the other associated symptoms, some women will have and some may oh, not. Okay. okay. Um, just as a, a fun fact, unfortunately, us women of color, Latino women and African-American women are more likely to actually have um, symptoms such as vasomotor symptoms and they are more likely to last longer than women um white women for example.
0: Wow. I was very upset when I, you know, stopped my menstrual cycle and I hit one day before twelve months. And and that meant I had to start all over again. Correct. Not it, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't on my side. So um, what's another thing, um, I know we have to have breast exams, what's, what's, and, and we're taught as we're younger um, women, we're taught how to do self-breast exams, but do we really know what we're looking for? Because we have little nodules or whatever mm-hmm. in our breasts anyway, how do we know when we should be
2: alarmed? So that's a really good question. I get that from a lot of patients. Um, you know, most women will say, you know, my breasts just feel lumpy-eyed. I, I can't tell if something is wrong or not. Yeah. Uh, so what I really kind of coach and, and, and uh, my patients along is what we call something called um, self-breast awareness. So in other words, knowing what do your breasts feel like? Okay. Everyone has a different type of breast. So there's four different types. There's fatty breasts, fibroglandular breasts, which are the ones that feel really lumpy. Then you have heterogeneously dense breasts, which is a mixture of fibroglandular breast and dense breasts. And then you have women who have extremely dense breasts. And those are the breasts that are kind of more like stiff. So more feel like an implant type of breast. So you don't really feel as much, uh, feel lumpy as much. <laughs> Um, what I explained to patients is if you feel a lump or something that feels like a lump in your breast, what you need to do is check the opposite breast in that same location. If it feels pretty symmetrical, then that's just your normal breast tissue. It's probably your fibroglandular tissue or lobules, but if it feels a stark difference or this is, this isn't the same, then that's when you need to seek, um, attention from your physician. And that's once a year
0: breast exams?
2: So we do breast exams once a year for women who are at average risk for breast cancer. But for someone who's high risk for breast cancer, we actually have them come into the office for uh, breast exams twice a year as well as having a mammogram once a year and an MRI once a year. Mammogram. So
0: for me, I'm just, you know, I'm not in the medical field. But you would think the medical field has come so far with technology. Mm-hmm. However, they still haven't come up with anything that makes it more comfortable for us women, you know, to want to go in right. and have this test done?
2: So, unfortunately, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> but we're working on things. So, um, you know, there is, there is MRI, but unfortunately MRI is, um, is saved for women, again, like I said, who are at increased risk or high risk for breast cancer. So women who, for an example, may have a genetic mutation that predisposes them to breast cancer, Uh, So insurances won't cover it if you're average risk. Um, Now there is a new uh, technology called MBI or molecular breast imaging, which is a kind of an MRI and mammogram combined. So unfortunately the technique is same thing as a mammogram. So in other words, your breasts are pressed into two plates, but you receive contrast like you would with an MRI. And so if there is a abnormality in the breast, it will um uptake that contrast so that it's easier for a radiologist to visualize and not miss a potential cancer. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've been running. I, I Monday I'm going to make me an appointment. Awesome. And, and get it taken care of. Um it's just cold, gloomy and clammy and everything else in that room. But I'm gonna go. What are some of the health disparities that you see with African-Americans, women?
2: So um, potential. so specifically for our, let's talk about, you know, breast cancer, because we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, breast cancer screening. So African-American women, um, unfortunately, are more susceptible to developing breast cancer earlier um and also more likely to die from breast cancer than their white counterparts in fact they are 42 percent higher mortality rate so death rate compared to white women who are diagnosed with breast cancer um they also are more likely to be diagnosed with a more aggressive breast cancer called triple negative breast cancer and that is actually more susceptible in younger women in general um the other uh, concerns that we have in terms of uh, African American women and health disparities are that of fertility. Yeah. Um, you know, being that I specialize in women with breast cancer, um, I do have to talk to a lot of women about fertility and fertility preservation um, because the treatments of breast cancer can impact a woman's fertility. The problem is the state of Michigan does not mandate employers cover. Um, fertility treatment and so therefore most women in general don't have coverage for fertility preservation. So you have now women who are black women for example who are more likely to be diagnosed with breast cancer at a younger age which means they're going to be more likely to have infertility issues which they already have anyway Mm -hmm. because of other reasons. Obesity for example puts women at higher risk of infertility. Uh, Fibroids and we know Black women are more likely to be diagnosed with fibroids at younger ages, 25, as I talked about. Endometriosis, which we didn't talk about, but also, too, can affect um, African-American women, too, uh, which also can impact infertility. So you have all of these other outside things, and then you add... What is it called? Endometriosis. Endometriosis. What is that? Is that a sexual transmitted disease? No. So endometriosis is a condition... Um, that can cause infertility in women, it causes severe pelvic pain okay. um particularly with the menses. It can cause pain outside of that. they might have uh, pain with bowel movements, pain with intercourse mm-hmm. um, periods are usually much heavier uh they also can cause scarring or how implants do you get that? so that 's a great question. Unfortunately, scientists have not figured out how it happens. Okay. We have a hypothesis that we think that there is a backflow of blood through the tubes that goes out into the pelvic cavity and causes little implants onto the bowel, the bladder, the pelvic wall, sometimes even all the way up into the underarm, so the axilla sometimes. Um, and that can cause this, these, these infertility issues that we can see with um, endometriosis as well as the pain as I spoke about. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of research still being done on endometriosis and trying to figure out what is the physiology behind it? Why does this happen? But we don't know as of now.
0: When you talk about health disparities, um, a lot of, and I'm saying a lot of women because I, I read about it. I'm constantly talking to my girlfriends, you know, about different issues they're having with their bodies. Right. Um, when we go to the doctor, why is it that we still are not taken serious when we're mm-hmm. saying that, you know, our body is in pain, there's something going on? And we're constantly just pushed to the side,
2: like it's something wrong with us. Well, part of the problem is there was this thought for many years that black women, particularly, have we have higher pain tolerance. You know, so we're not in pain. Um, you know, if you look at the literature, just in obstetrics, for example, um, you know, we were given less pain medication mm-hmm. after a cesarean section or a vaginal birth because you know we're not in pain. Uh, or less likely to receive epidural at a you know at an earlier time compared to our other counterparts again because we we can't be suffering as in much pain so there's this and 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 this a lot of this dates back to you know during times of experimentation and slavery and and jim crow era um the other issue is that there are not enough of us who are practicing physicians yeah. who can relate and understand the black experience for for example um Still, you know, providers are predominantly white. Yes. Um, only 5% of active physicians today are African-American, and of those 5%, 2% are African-American male, um, which is even worse for our African-American males out here um, who also are also suffering just as much or more than African-American women when it comes to mortality and morbidity um, disease. Um, so, it, you know, it's a very difficult thing to combat. I mean, I think the first thing we need to do is try to um, improve the number of physicians that are going into healthcare that look like us, because we, we there's been studies to show that we take better care of our
0: own. And unfortunately, because of the percentage of um, medical black medical doctors that are out there, it's only so many patients you guys can take. Correct. You know, so that's, you know. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Correct. You know, um, and unfortunately, ladies, Dr. Swine is not taking any more patience at this
2: time. I'm not taking any more Oh, my I, God. Probably, I wish he was, but... <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm trying to move up in the world. That's why. I'm, yes, hope, she I'm is. hoping that one day, you know, I can, um, you know, work on a national level um, in terms of health care policy. And, and trying. No, that's
0: already in the works.
2: It, it, you know what? I know <laughs> that it is. It is. I just got to get there. And, you know, it helps fight some of these inequities. But I know... I know what needs to be done, and and the way it needs to be done is that we have to sit at the table. Yeah. We have to be able to make decisions yeah. because in the grand scheme of it all, no one's going to make a better decision for you than you. Yeah. In other words, you need people that look like you up there speaking on your behalf That's and in um, efforts to make sure that we have access to health care, that it's affordable health care for us, um, that we're not turned away, that we're listened to, that we're not judged. Um, in order to help um, close the gap in healthcare inequity in, um, in this country.
0: And now with um, healthcare being so expensive, you know, I have healthcare through my, you know, my employer. However, me paying into this, you know, health insurance, they have dropped off a lot of things that they recover. So when it's time to go and see the doctor, or when you have to make a decision about making an appointment. Now you have to choose because it's like, do I have the money to pay either out-of-pocket or pay the high percentage that I'm going to be responsible for? You know, then you start having these inner battles with your mind like, well, there's nothing really wrong with me, you know, or can I last a little bit longer? And then, unfortunately, we wait until we just can't wait any longer where sometimes we're at the last resort when it comes to the, you know, to the doctor because we've had to put it off so long.
2: Right. I mean, obviously, it's easy for me to say, you know, don't put a price tag on your life. Yeah. Um, and I often quote that a lot uh, to my patients um, because the truth is we're going to spend the money. So whether it's on the front end or the back end. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I, and like I said, I know it's easy for me to say, um, but we also have to be advocates for ourselves okay. um, as well, and put the pressure on our providers, whether they're physicians, nurse practitioners, uh, nurses, um, physician assistants, mm-hmm. to um, to take us seriously. So um, how
0: would you how would you coach a young lady in in speaking on behalf or um, Or champion for herself when it comes to speaking with doctors when it comes to like pain medications Mm -hmm. and stuff like that if you're constantly telling the doctor no I'm from a one to ten I'm at a nine out of ten I need something and he's saying no we'll wait you will wait how do you get through to that doctor to let him know no I need you to
2: hear what I'm saying I know my body um so you know sometimes again it it may take having to go to Two, three different physicians to be heard, um, and and sometimes unfortunately we have to do that until we get to someone to listen to our voice. Um, but the other thing is nice is to so, do your research too as well and come in with questions and saying you know I I notice I have this this and this and this I think maybe I might have this condition, you know? Could I you, do that all the you, time. Yeah, and there and I love it. I love when patients come in and they have, and some I physicians don't. are. In, some physicians are intimidated by <laughs> yes. it. Yes, they are. But for me, I love it. I brag all the time that my patients are the smartest patients. I don't. I don't. I don't get a kick out of knowing more information than them. No, I want them to leave knowing just as much as I know or more when they leave out of my office. That's a super important to me. Um, so I think you know, doing your homework and you know there are, there are sites that that are. Uh, like PubMed, for example, that are credible or up-to-date. What is that it called? PubMed. Okay. Um, or up-to-date that are credible websites that you can use to get information from. Because you're right. You don't know. You know, there are things on Google that, you know, are not true. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and it's hard for, for some people to decipher, well, what should I, you know, look at as truth and what should I not? Um, so I always try to gear people towards more credible um, areas to look for.
0: So I have a question. And I'm not sure how you're gonna answer it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that needs, you know, an answer. Okay. We have a lot of women. Um, and the number is growing. And mm-hmm. and actually now it has fallen over to our, our males as well. Um, me and we have not forgot about you. We do have an African American doctor that is coming to the table. Mm-hmm. But today
2: we can deal with the women. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We have a lot of women that are getting the um, BBLs, mm-hmm. that are getting the um, breast implants, mm-hmm. um, tummy tucks. How was that? How was that working or not
2: working for our bodies, as far as longevity? Right. Um, you know, I would never tell somebody not to do something if, if that's what they feel like they need to do for their own self-esteem or if they feel like that makes them look better i, like, I don't you know should i get you know, you know so I, so, <laughs> I, so i don't i don't really necessarily i don't tell people they should or tell people they shouldn't <laughs> um, um but in terms of things for implants for example just because i know i deal Good you know my air, air specialty is breast um you know the thing about implants is if you're going to get those, what I say is you just need to make sure you have proper follow-up. Okay. Um, it is recommended for women who have implants, they should have actually MRI screening instead of mammogram screening um, because the implant can sometimes uh, get in the way of being able to visualize an occult you know, tumor or cancer in the breast. For example... Um, there, um, there was a, and I, forgive me, I forget the name, but there was a type of implant, it had um, texture to it is what it was, that they were finding a rare type of breast cancer, which from my understanding now, plastic surgeons are no longer using this implant. But it's something, too, to talk to a plastic surgeon about if you're thinking about getting implants to avoid the textured type of implant. Okay. Um, and then um, if you're gonna get them, making sure that when they tell you you need to have them removed or, or exchanged, if that's what you wish to do, that to follow up and to do that and to follow those recommendations um, so that you know, a cancer is not unidentified. In terms of uh, tummy tucks, um, you know, tummy tuck, it, it's a you know, relatively safe procedure. Okay. Um, I will say this and being a surgeon, it can make things more difficult um, in terms of performing surgery when someone has a tummy tuck, particularly if I'm trying to do a laparoscopic surgery, um, because the abdomen now is very taut and tight. And so being able to inflate the abdomen with air becomes more difficult. So there's that, um, aspect. Um, now Brazilian butt lifts, um, there's not a whole lot that it will impact in terms of gynecological things, um... Uh, it's just a matter of are you going to the right person for that so making sure that you see a board-certified plastic surgeon and not some you know a cosmetic surgeon because there's a difference oh, okay. um and you want to yeah you want to make sure that you you do your homework So and, cos-
0: are, are you saying cosmetic um
2: a, so a, yeah they're two different certified? things so actually a cosmetic surgeon may not necessarily been a general surgeon oh mm-hmm. um there are people that come from other specialties that could have done a fellowship in cosmetic surgery a plastic surgeon is someone who has done this their their entire training. It's a seven-year residency followed by fellowship afterwards. Okay. Um, yeah, ladies. yeah, so it's really important that they see a board-certified plastic surgeon. So just don't go because something's cheaper. Sometimes cosmetic surgeries tend to be cheaper, but there's a reason why it's cheaper. They're not board-certified. Okay. Okay. That makes sense.
0: But we going to talk about, you know... Me having one at not?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Teacher's <his> own. <laughs> um, I want to say, um, I think that was the all qu- oh, the questions that um I that came in. Okay. Okay. So, can you kind of sum it up for us yeah. when it comes to um what we are expected to? No, wait a minute the um, what is it
2: called a colonoscopy a colonoscopy at what age do you start looking at that so that's changed over time it's 45 oh is it 45 yeah 45 years old Um, and every um, 10 years if there's no family history or everything's fine if someone has a family history of colon cancer or some sort again some sort of genetic mutation that predisposes them to colon cancer then they might have to have a colonoscopy maybe every three years or every five years
0: Oh, I'm well past my... <laughs> Uh-oh. Can you... Right. Can you sum up for us um, when it comes to... Um... Oh, before... Look, mm-hmm. I thought of another question before. Yeah. How do women take care of their J.J.? Oh, okay. Because I know learning growing mm-hmm. up or even, you know, mm-hmm. you being my physician... Yeah i am addicted to smell goods okay so i you know i you know i love lotions i love perfume yeah i just love that stuff and i know you've gotten on me a couple of times mm-hmm. <laughs> so can so you tell me. us how to so the vagina
2: aka <laughs> JJ, <Vajayjay>, right <laughs> cleans itself actually um so there's nothing extra that any woman needs to do and in fact you need to be careful if about some of the extra things that we do. There's a lot of uh, feminine products over the counter that actually can cause uh, pH imbalances. Um, And when you have a pH imbalance, then you end up killing the normal flora of the vagina that keeps it clean and keeps it uh, from foul odors, for example. So when women are using things like dishes or uh, vaginal soaps that they're putting inside, it can cause um, a bacteria called Gardnerella to grow, which then causes bacteria vaginosis, which there are a lot of women who suffer from, and it causes a foul fishy-like odor. Um, And um, so women just need to be careful not to interfere with the flora of the vagina because then they end up with an issue of BV, which can then become chronic. And then it's a constant back and forth with the gynecologist um, every other month with this issue. So are you saying no soap, or is it a particular soap? So you can use soap, but what we recommend is usually a dove, uh, something mild, and only on the outside. There should be no soap that goes inside because soap is actually a basic item. And so the vagina is supposed to be acidic, less than a pH of 4.5. And when you're using something basic inside, it interferes with the normal pH. And hence, pH imbalance. It's a thing, ladies. It's a real thing.
0: I'm still learning because I still (laughs) love my soap. (laughs) You can use it everywhere else, just on the outside, nowhere else. (laughs) So give us a summary of what women, um, you know, what test
2: comes when and, you know,
0: Mm -hmm. how we should really.
2: So um, I would say the, you know, first trip, like, for example, to the gynecologist can really start really at any age depending on you know what may be going on you know we see you know adolescents too as well but in terms of routine screening that doesn't start till age 21 so 21 is when a woman will receive her first pap smear and pap smears are to check for cervical cancer so i just want to make sure that that's clear um just because a a gynecologist places a speculum inside the vagina does not mean you received a pap smear that's that's a pap smear is as you need to see a Uh, There's like a little jar and there's a brush that we use and we brush the inside of the cervix and place those cells into the jar and the pathologist looks to make sure that there's no cervical cancer. Um, Women between the ages of 21 and 25 are recommended to get sexually transmitted disease or sexually transmitted um, infection testing annually. Um, or sooner if they're having concerns. After the age of 25, we don't routinely check for STDs unless the woman is, you know, has some concerns. And the reason for that is because the rate of STDs after the age of 25 dramatically drops, mm-hmm. and that and that's why. Um, and then once a woman hits the age of um, 30, her pap smears will go from every three years you know, between 21 and 29, to every five years with an HPV test. So HPV stands for human papillomavirus. It is the virus that can increase the risk of cervical cancer. Um, there's also vaccines that are offered. Um, is that HPV? T- Correct, HPV. Now, is that the – I don't know what it was, but it's something that they just started that younger, young, younger women – Can get like a shot? Correct, a vaccine. So, vaccines are actually given before they ever see me. Um, They're given by their pediatrician. So, they get. Because
0: that's so new. What about us women that are in our our, um, later years?
2: Uh, So, actually, it's not new, actually. So, the HPV vaccine came out in probably about 2012, if not a little bit before then. Okay. It's just that we didn't start utilizing it as much until I would say the last few years. Okay. um, Because there was a lot of uh political okay. you know or okay. <laughs> over I it but it. <laughs> they thought it was gonna make kids have sex and you're like, Oh, okay.
0: Uh, whatever you say.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um but it the laws did change and that it is new now that HPV can be given to both men and women wow. um, and you can give it to them and insurance will cover it up until age 45. So it used to be that insurance would only cover the vaccine up to age 26. Okay. So we've increased the age of which you can get it. But the recommendation is to actually give the vaccine in both boys and girls between the ages of 11 and 12. Okay. Um, then by the time a woman hits the age of 40, uh, we start mammogram screening. Um, And that's done every year. Again, unless they're high risk for breast cancer, then that's a whole set of uh, rules for them. Um, We also then, by the time a woman reaches 45, we recommend colonoscopy. And again, every 10 years, as long as they're not at an increased risk. Um, And then by the time a woman hits the age of um, 50, they'll be assessed about whether or not they're at high risk for bone loss. If they're not, then they will get their first... um, bone scan to check for osteoporosis and where do they get that done bone scan usually done in radiology right no but what i'm saying is that through our
0: internal medicine doctor or gyn
2: it doesn't matter okay um a primary care or okay. yep or gynecologist will order a, a bone scan for them to do and that's usually done at the age of 65 again unless a woman has increased risk prior to that okay um and that would be the other um only other screening that we do um for women So there you have it. Joel, you got any questions?
1: Uh, Not at all. um, (laughs) But I did get uh, a lot of information. Miss Monique, do you have any questions? Um, Yes, I do. Um, My daughter has um, really bad cycles. Um, She um, went and they put her on some birth control pills, and that actually made her cycle worse. Mm. Um, it kind of made it go longer and then she ended up getting a shot and that really helped. Okay. But um, she's been having issues with her legs mm-hmm. and they mm. thought that she was having blood clots. Mm. So um, she went to, to a hematologist. Yeah, hematologist. Yep. Hematologist about it. And he's telling her to stay off the estrogen. Okay. But she's still having really, really bad cycles. What happens to her, she gets um she throws up okay um sometimes she gets hot like Mm -hmm. but it'll go away okay and um you know it's usually bad like one or two days okay and i'm if she can't do the the you know the um estrogen yeah the estrogen Mm -hmm. what what other things do you recommend for her
2: yeah, so that's a great question. So for mm-hmm. women who have contraindications to estrogen, there are progesterone-only methods, which is the shot you referred to. Mm-hmm. It's called the Depo-Provera. Mm-hmm. So Provera is a form of progesterone. Mm-hmm. So it actually works against estrogen. It's like its enemy. It's mm-hmm. like a, so it's like its arch enemy. Um, and what it does is it helps to stabilize the uterine lining. And by stabilizing the uterine lining, you have less bleeding or no bleeding at all. So estrogen actually builds the lining up and progesterone tears it down. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you give someone progesterone in constant form, it then doesn't allow the ability of estrogen to allow the lining to grow. So now they don't have these heavy periods anymore, the periods aren't as long, the the pain is less. So someone like your daughter, the depo shot is is perfect for her, but also there are other things that are progesterone only, so there's Provera pills she could take instead if she wanted to. Mm Um, if she wanted to do an intrauterine device or an IUD, so there's progesterone-containing IUDs. The Mirena is an example. Mm-hmm. There is a progesterone-containing um, implant that goes in the arm called the Nexplanon that are options too as well. Mm-hmm. And, again, all of those mm-hmm. things do is they stabilize the lining to reduce the symptoms of um, heavy bleeding, longer bleeding, and cramping. Um, but some of the other symptoms you described, you mentioned nausea. I don't know if she has bloating or cramping or other things too. But Yeah,
1: really bad cramps, really heavy.
2: So some women also have something called PMS or premenstrual syndrome, Mm -hmm. which is also a thing. Um, So um, just to give you guys a little bit about history, um, in medieval times, they used to call it hysteria. Um, And women were hysterical. And so what they would do to treat this hysteria is they would give them a hysterectomy that was the way to treat um, full history, everything would go. But the reality is, in today's world, is actually PMS is what it is. Mm-hmm. And so there is actually a uh, questionnaire that women can um, fill out mm-hmm. about each of the symptoms they're having mm-hmm. and when they have them and how severe they are to allow the physician to determine whether this is PMS versus PMDD, which is a more severe PMS. <clears throat> and then they could be prescribed not only uh, medications like the depot shot or birth control, but also too, we talked about this earlier, things like Prozac. So like an SSRI to help stabilize the mood if they're also having mood swings and mood changes during this time too. Okay.
0: okay. Thank you. So you're much. welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so listen, ladies, um, when you're thinking about a gynecologist, I mean I hate to say it, don't just pick anybody. Don't go to the yellow pages, the white pages. And just scroll down and the first one you see you pick, you call, you make an appointment, do your research, you know um whatever health care that they are connected to they they should actually be on that website and you can go and you can read their bio, you can actually see where people have rated the doctor mm-hmm. um by the way, um my doctor has got like all five stars i <laughs> <laughs>
2: She's a five-star doctor. First of all, do you know how many people I had to pay to do that? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I actually saw she this. got five out of five. That's wild. So one of my patients told me to go look at myself. I don't even look at my, and I did. I was like, "Oh my God, how is that even possible?" I was like, "Who did I pay to get this No
0: Did you see? Did you read all the wonderful accurate I, I I did read them, and, and every
2: it, last one of them was correct. I it makes me feel very good, you know? um, that I'm, I'm blessed. And, and you know, how much
0: more more um, African American women doctors are needed.
2: Absolutely, you know, absolutely. So. But I do want to put a plug because I think that um, Henry Ford actually does a terrific job he of did. hiring um, black physicians. So he in did. my department, we do have other black OBGYNs. One of them is one of my good friends, so Dr. Leah N. Roberts. I'll give a shout-out to her. She's amazing. Leah N. Uh, Roberts. Is she taking patients? She is. Okay, um, guys, Leah Roberts. She's a friend of mine. Um, and Dr. Paige Kimbers, also another black physician who's also very good. Are they on the boulevard? Yes, ma'am. Okay. And Natasha Prince as well. So um, Dr. Jeanette Espy. Shout out to my black women doctors. So we are here and we are ready to serve you. And don't be shy when you call the Henry
0: Ford main line. Ask them when you're looking for a gyn. Say I want a black doctor. It's perfectly fine. It's perfectly yeah. fine, whether they offend it or not. You know, they'll be okay, but you'll have what you need. Right. <laughs> That's
1: what's most, most important. That's mm-hmm. most
0: important. You know, um, we want to see, you know, someone that looks like us, that understands what we are going through in our bodies. Not saying that the other, you know, physicians don't, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) So we want to thank Dr. Swain for coming to the table. I so appreciate it. So Thank you. And I I pray that your questions were answered. Um, For the people who will be watching the replay, go back and listen, um, especially to the ending part the last maybe five, ten minutes, and she gives you a rundown at what age you're supposed to have different tests done. Um, so, we, again, we just want to thank Dr. Swine
1: thank for you. coming thank out.
2: You. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: And then, again, don't, don't be discouraged. <laughs> we got a male physician coming. We just got to work out his schedule, you know, because they are so in demand, you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> it, took, what, it took months yes for us to clear a a spot for dr swine but (laughs) nevertheless she's here at detroit table talk and we love it
2: one Um, more plug that i put yes ma'am henry ford is actually working on um right now i'm a part of the mission um this is for black men in terms of um colon cancer screening so colon cancer is something that's very prevalent in black men and killing them at alarming rates. Cool. Um, a lot of it, again, is access issues and, um, you know, having colonoscopies at far later ages than they're supposed to. It really didn't become in the, uh, a big issue or, or seen as an issue or um, seen in, until Chad Bausman, sure. you know, died of colon cancer, mm-hmm. but that is actually something that a lot of black men are going through right now. So Henry Ford is actually on a mission to help increase access and making sure that black men get colonoscopies um, before it's too late. So
0: they can just pick up the phone and call the uh, main line and say, mm-hmm. "Hey, uh, mm-hmm. open at, that- Yeah,
2: they don't even they don't even necessarily have to have a primary care because that was an issue, you know. Okay. People think they have to have a primary care. Same thing with a mammogram, actually. Women, you don't even have to have an order from a primary care physician oh. to get a mammogram. You can just schedule a mammogram.
0: Oh, that's, mm-hmm. that's good to know. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I always felt like I had to wait for, you know, an order to be put in. Because most things you do, right. you know, you have to have a referral. Well, the
2: advantage of the order is it's going to come to someone so they have the results. That's the advantage. Okay. Okay. Um, but in order to get one, you don't, at Henry IV, you don't need a doctor to put in a mammogram order for you. You can actually just get one.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, there you have it, Mm -hmm. you know, um, next week at the table, we will have Mr. Rick. He's our firearm safety um, expert. You know, he's been featured on every television station um, around. He'll be at the table talking to us about um, gun safety, you know, and we'll be talking about the different um, violent acts that have been taking place and how parents As well as anyone who has a CPL or doesn't have a CPL, how to keep our firearms safe, you know, from our young young people. So we'll see you back at the table next week at 5 o'clock. Peace. Peace. (laughs)